and we can be before him. Even though we are sinners, we can go before him and be in his presence, and I think that's just wonderful. But before I actually start um, sort of sharing with you what I felt God placed in my heart, I just want to share with you something. Um, I know today somebody's got baptised. <laughs> Would you like to stand up, Holly? <laughs> Holly's been on a tremendous journey. Today has just been amazing to hear. So, <laughs> being baptised. So if you could um, remember her in your prayers, I'd really value that. Pray for protection. Pray that she grows even more Christ-like and continues to fall in love with him because she's very passionate for Christ, I know. Well done. <laughs> Anyway, I'm not going to get emotional anymore. <laughs> I hope not. But before I actually start tonight, I would actually really feel it's important that we individually prepare ourselves to receive the word. Because otherwise, if we just listen to words, does it mean anything? Does it really mean anything to us? And I think we actually need to come to God as we are, broken, sinful people, desperate to hear Christ. And I think we really should prepare ourselves before listening to the word to be able to receive that freely. Because we all come with baggage. We might have had a really tough week. We might be exhausted, tired, whatever. So I actually really encourage you now. Can you actually all just stand up, please? And I really urge you to pray out aloud to God now. Prepare yourself to receive his word. You know what's on your heart. Ask for the things, the barriers, anything that might stop you from receiving his word. So please feel free to shout out aloud your prayers, your desires to receive this word. Lord Jesus Christ, come and to us all, Lord Jesus. Prepare our hearts, prepare our minds. Lord Jesus Christ, be with us. You're an almighty God. Yes, Lord Jesus, we come to you. We come to people that are desperate to hear the word. We need more of you. But to receive you, we need to make space for you. We need to strip down those barriers, remove our pride, our arrogance. Help us to be like sponges tonight, Lord, to receive your message. May we feel your presence here amongst us. Move amongst us, Lord. Transform us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I really felt the Lord um, 
say to look at Proverbs 3, verses 1 to 17 tonight. But we're going to concentrate on one or two verses, which I'll talk to you about in a moment. But let's just look at this particular passage. I absolutely love this. I think it's pure poetry. Such great words of wisdom. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honour. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. Just found that really beautiful, really. Can I just pray before we go any further? Yes, Lord, I just thank you for the word. Especially with the passage that we've just shared, Lord, so full of wisdom. Such beauty to it, Lord. May it really strike our hearts. May it change us, Lord. Amen. I really felt that the Lord tonight wanted to sort of concentrate on the verses 5 to 6. And those being, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Well, as Eugene Peterson writes in the message, he puts, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Trust. It's a smallish word, but it's a really big thing. And actually the definition of trust is the firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability or strength of someone or something. It takes time to trust people. And sometimes we assume that we can automatically trust a person because of their professional credentials. 
for instance, a doctor, a nurse, a judge, police, all sorts of people. But in relationships, we build up a level of trust with one another. We may have an inkling that the person we are getting to know acts with integrity and can be trusted. But this requires us to become vulnerable to an extent. And dare I say, we need to let go of our pride from time to time. We begin to let our guard down. I'm actually sure for many of us here that we might have had a negative experience with regards to trust. It might have been broken. And when it's been broken, it can have devastating consequences. It will take a long time to build trust again and requires, of course, the act of forgiveness. Broken trust can shape our existing relationships and possibly future relationships too. We can become more guarded. Walls develop around our innermost being and it can even affect the way that we relate to God. You see, in this passage, we are told to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. Jeremiah 29 says, Seek the Lord with all your heart. So there's a common theme here. All of your heart, God is asking for. Not just pockets of it, but all of it. Notice too, we are called to lean, not on our own understanding. See, leaning means putting the whole of your weight on something, resting on and trusting in that person, or in this case, lean totally on God. We're not supposed to support ourselves, not go it alone or depend on other things, but lean on God. He knows what is best for us. He is a better judge of what we really need. I must admit, from my own experience working with uh, male young offenders and, and the prisoners, the adult male prisoners, I hear that they struggle with the actual concept that we have a heavenly father. and find it even harder to accept that this heavenly father actually loves them unconditionally. And they find it simply too difficult and too painful to consider trusting a father figure due to their own experience of perhaps having an abusive father or an absent father. You can understand this type of logic, this thinking. Why should I trust the Heavenly Father when my own father beat me up and threw me out on the street? Or why should I trust the Heavenly Father when I saw my father beat my mother up? Why should I trust this Heavenly Father but my own father walked out on the family and abandoned us and has nothing to do with me. You can understand this train of thought and the reaction. It takes time to know our Heavenly Father. But it's all about relationship with him. And it's also about letting go of our own understanding and leaning upon him for support instead. I believe that letting go of our pride is a real important factor in building a strong, healthy relationship with him. I'm so grateful that we actually have a Heavenly Father who is patient. He is a patient Father. So the question is, how is your relationship with God? Do you struggle to trust him? 
Do you give him the small things? Do you give him the small things in life, not the big things? I encourage you to pray with somebody who suspects that you are holding back. You'll only give him part of your life that you're holding back because he asks us to give us everything, the big and the small. I also think actually that to trust God is actually one of the greatest acts of worship you can do. I believe it is a sweet-smelling fragrance to God. It's all about relationship with him and letting go of yourself. Uh, anybody know where that is? It's not Bidford, no. <laughs> anybody know? Niagara Falls, yes, absolutely right. Spot on, no prize, I'm afraid, but yes, Niagara Falls. And this year, we, we were blessed uh, by going to see my family who live out in Canada, and uh, this is probably about a second or third time visiting Niagara Falls. It's an amazing place, actually. And apparently over 68 Olympic-sized swimming pools flow over Niagara Falls every minute, which is incredible, is it? 68 Olympic-sized swimming pools. But I urge you to go real soon, because apparently in 50,000 years' time, the falls will no longer exist because of erosion. So you've got a bit of time, okay? (laughs) And uh, this this is John going over Niagara. No, it's not. (laughs) It wouldn't surprise you, would it? No. <laughs> no, I can tell that's not John because he's wearing a safety thing. <laughs> John wouldn't bother with that. Um, but people have been attempting to either go over the falls, you know, by going over the top, literally, or going across it in, in various ways. It's just incredible that people should even think of doing it. But whilst um, I was there, I read the story of a man called Charles Blondin who on the 30th of June in 1859 crossed over Niagara Falls on a tightrope. He crossed in a three-inch thick rope stretched over 1,100 feet across the falls at the height of 160 feet. A few days later, he crossed again, but this time he executed a backward somersault, crossed over blindfolded while pushing a wheelbarrow, whilst on stilts in the dark with Roman candles flaring from the ends of his balancing pole. (laughs) Amazing. No, John, you're not going to do that next time. <laughs> not until you're insured. Right. And uh, <laughs> one time he crossed and stopped halfway across and cooked an omelette on a portable stove. And then he lowered the omelette down to a boat that was down below. Just incredible. But then on the 15th of September in 1860, he was at the falls and asked a crowd who had gathered around him. Do you believe I can carry someone across the rope on my back? The crowd roared its approval. Yes, we believe you can. Then Blondin asked for a volunteer. (laughs) Who will volunteer? Nobody wanted to. Deadly quiet. He pointed out one man standing nearby. How about you? The man said, hardly. You don't think I'm going to risk my life like that, do you? And he turned away. Next, Blondin pointed out another man. And what about you? The man replied, I believe, in fact, I have no doubt at all I can do this. 
To which Blondin said, will you trust me? The man replied, I will. The man proceeded to climb on the back of Blondin and they headed across the falls on the tightrope. The crowd waited breathlessly while they crossed and roared their approval once they completed the crossing. There's a picture of them there. What they didn't know was that the man who crossed on Blondin's back was the manager, his manager, Harry Colcord. See, Colcord knew how good Charles Blondin was. He fully trusted in him. His faith was secure, as the object of his faith was Charles Blondin. He knew him to be trustworthy, and he had proven himself to be just so throughout the years he'd spent with him. Now, I I suspect hugely that Colcord would not have said yes if he'd just met him. No way. I'd be really surprised if he did. But you see, because he'd spent time with Blondin, he knew he could trust him. He had a belief in the reliability, the truth, and the ability, and the strength in him. Imagine what the crowd thought when Blondin and Colcord walked gingerly over the falls. One putting great trust in the other. You see, when we trust God, others will see that too. And we'll know then that our faith is truly alive. It's not just words. It is truly alive in us. And we are prepared to listen to God and live out our life as God intended. We truly believe in our God and do the things that he wants us to do. Most of the time, it'll be doing the opposite of what the world is doing. To me, that is a great testimony of our faith, of our belief, and our trust in God. We need to lean on God and not on our own understanding. Jesus is the object of our faith. He has proven himself to be trustworthy. He created the world we live in, He came and lived a blameless life without sin. He served and was sacrificial, even to the point of dying on the cross for us. Then he overcame death and arose from the dead, just as he said he would do. He has power, he has strength and authority. He is worthy of our trust. He is a true friend we can fully rely upon. And he will not let you down. I know from my own journey with Christ that at times things just don't seem to make any sense whatsoever. Have you ever found yourself sort of asking questions, God, why has this happened? Or God, I don't understand. God has given us a mind to think and reason, but we do need to trust him and he'll guide us through life here on earth. He will make our path straight. However, we can easily go it alone and abandon our friend Jesus and decide to lean on our own judgments or begin to rely on other things in life such as alcohol, drugs, work, all sorts of things. Somehow this reminded me of Satnaus when we were planning a journey. So you see, you start your journey, don't you? You program in the current destination and where you want to go to. And with amazing power of technology, it comes up on the screen, the route where you're going to go. 
You can even choose the most economical route where it won't cost you much. Or the quickest route because you haven't got time to enjoy the scenery along the way. You just know you've got to get there as quickly as possible. Interestingly, I found out that some of the most popular sat-nav voices selected are the voice of the actor Brian Blessed, Homer Simpson, Tom Cruise, Darth Vader, Sir Roger Moore, and Yoda, the Star Wars character, and my favourite, Bugs Bunny. So you will listen to Bugs Bunny telling you to turn left then right, and you obey his commands. But you know, he's not always right, Bugs Bunny, as you can see from the following photos. This is what happened when uh, a lorry driver took his 30-ton lorry down a narrow lane, he jackknifed in the corner before actually getting stuck between grade one listed buildings. <coughs> Apparently, when he tried to manoeuvre the rig, um, one or two of the tyres exploded and caused even more damage. In fact, the driver was delivering crates of olive oil, which is quite biblical, isn't it, to Waitrose nearby, and apparently it cost £80,000 to clean up the spilt olive oil. £15,000 of damage was done to a 17th century house. £20,000 for writing off his trailer, making a grand total of £115,000 in costs. He obviously hadn't chose the economical route. And the driver, just got it, didn't you? <laughs> the driver received a £40 fine. <laughs> Here's another one. Alan, you used to be a lorry driver, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. not you, is it? <laughs> another one. And all of these people have been following sat-navs, just taking them down. Yeah. <laughs> That's an Asda van doing a home delivery and ended up down a footpath. <laughs> and I think this is funny, this one here. Is this the driver of this lorry? Uh, is, yeah, you're right, yeah. <laughs> apparently his name was Yuri and the lorry driver was. And apparently he spent three nights sleeping in his cab because he obviously had the bed in there. But people that were living nearby came out and gave him meals, so he stayed there for three days. And then eventually a tractor came along and released him, <coughs> but little damage was done. But what is quite ironical is you actually have a sign <laughs> <laughs> saying, no wide vehicles, do not follow sat-nav, very narrow road. Quite ironic that we actually use sat-nav so that we don't have to bother reading signs anymore. But because it's a common problem with vehicles getting stuck down in suitable lanes and streets, there are now signs saying, do not follow your sat-navs. So what's this got to do with trusting God? It highlights that we need to listen to our Heavenly Father's voice and to read the instructions on how to live by reading the Word and Scriptures. Do not rely on other sources for your support and direction. Scripture will not lead you down the wrong path. Listen to God and lean not on your own understanding. For God is faithful. He wants to lead you on the right path so that you will not stumble. I have to say that the word enjoy has been resounding in me all week. And I ask this question to you. Do you want to enjoy your journey with God? 
I have a sense that this is a word that's not often demonstrated in the Christian walk. Yet there is so much joy to be had. So enjoy the journey with him. I certainly can testify that since giving myself to the Lord that my life is far from boring and I have enjoyed so many moments with the Lord and delight at the things he has shown me. So don't ignore the view as you go along. There is a richness to God's landscape. The route he has chosen for you has many blessings along the way. He has planted them there for you to enjoy and delight in. Don't rush through it. You'll get to your eternal destination, for you are saved. But there will be potholes in your life. It won't be a smooth journey. When I was thinking about this, I was reminded of the roads in Kenya. The roads could be absolutely dire with potholes the size of craters, not dissimilar to this particular picture here, as you can see. You see, like, I could plan a journey by looking at a map and calculate that I'd get there at a certain time if the road is in good condition. But the roads are in such poor condition out there that you could be thinking that you're actually driving on a dry riverbed from time to time. The journey takes longer considerably longer but I always see so much along the way I actually make a point of enjoying it and that's like life if you come across a pothole or two try and find the enjoyment in there follow Christ, see where he is in that situation in Acts 14 it says Paul and Barnabas had entered Derby and that's not Derby, Derby just before they journeyed here, Paul had been seriously stoned by a crowd of Jews. And this passage says the following. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. It will not be easy. It will cost each one of us here to follow Christ. We will need to give up things, include giving up our control on life. We need to lean on him and not on our own understanding. The cost of not following Christ is far, far greater. I'm hoping this is going to work. I've got a small clip for you, but before we play, I'll just briefly explain it. Thank you. Um, Google have produced this car that can drive all by itself. It is programmed. It's just incredible. This is a small little clip to give you an idea of what it can do. Uh, and they predict that this is going to be the future. You'll just sit in your car and it will drive. You'll program it in and off you go. So, should we play it and see what you think? And at Stanford, after witnessing the first of these competitions, we decided to build a car called Stanley that raced itself to the Mojave Desert at a 130 miles racing course 
and in about seven hours' time was able to negotiate rough, unrehearsed desert terrain by itself. This specific thing we won, in Stanford won $2 million. Now, to me, this was an eye-opener uh, because I really saw that there's technology that's possible. We can actually build cars that are safe and that free us of the burden to drive. The video footage you see here is all very recent footage, an experiment we ran at Google to build self-driving cars that can drive anywhere in traffic. They have modern new sensors that are given a surround view, and they've driven in San Francisco, driven in Los Angeles, and all the way in between, they're coming well around Lake Tahoe, uh, even down Lombard Street, busy highways, bridges, anywhere, Monterey, this is a little bit fast forward, um, without any human intervention. I think we're seeing the birthing of a technology um, that can really transform the way traffic works. Here's a video of Lombard Street for your enjoyment. Thank you to all the participants in our experiment. Didn't know about it. And here's a, a test for San Francisco parking. <laughs> so this car is programmed to drive all by itself. You just sit there. But I know if I sat in that car at this precise moment in time and put my trust in this car to take me to Tesco's, I'd be petrified. <laughs> I really would. But being honest, that's sometimes what it feels like when we're actually following Christ, because he's the one driving the car. And we don't know how that car works, because we're not the creator of that car. But God is the creator of us. He knows how we work, and he knows the route that we're supposed to be taking. So we are in safe hands. But it is really hard to let go. We do like to control in various ways. <coughs> when we trust in things other than God, we run the risk of being disappointed as they are subject to change. When these things we trust in go wrong, we begin to worry. Francis Chan says, worry implies that we don't quite trust that God is big enough, powerful enough, or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. Stress says the things we are involved in are important enough to merit our impatience, our lack of grace towards others, or our tight grip of control. Basically, these two behaviours communicate that it's okay to sin and not trust God, because the stuff in my life is somehow exceptional. Both worry and stress reek of arrogance. They declare our tendency to forget that we've been forgiven, that our lives are brief, and that in the context of God's strength, our problems are small indeed. When we put our trust in God, the never-changing God, we will not be disappointed. 
In James it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Hebrews. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. Like what Corrie ten Boom says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Let me introduce you to this lady, Teresa Malia. She was actually prompted by the Lord to go around in the communities that she lives in, in Ilongui, in Malawi, to go around and actually anoint people with oil. Because she asked God, I want to change this community. I don't want it to be like this. But he said to her, go around and anoint people with oil. She thought, what is that going to do? How's that going to change things? She was obedient, but she trusted in God. And also she leaned on him because she didn't understand what this meant. But people started to come to her because they could see she trusted God. So they, in turn, trusted her. Now, through the work with the Lord, now she and over 1,000 churches of different denominations in 260 villages now provide the local communities with help with microfinance, They bring food security, provide rape crisis counselling, a feeding and nutrition programme, establish youth groups and activities, provide medical care, eco-sand toilets and boreholes that provide fresh water. The list is endless. And this all started by her listening to God and going around anointing people. Didn't make sense to her, but God knew what he was doing. And you can see the fruits of her being obedient to Christ. Mother Teresa says, I know God will not give me anything I can't handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. It's true. He trusts us. One day at a Sunday service in the prison, we had a, a visiting speaker wasn't Alan I'm talking about, don't worry. <laughs> and this, um, this person, he was, he was really, really good. And he asked questions. Do you trust your family? He went quiet. Do you trust the government? Very quiet. And do you trust the police? To which there was quite a wave of groaning going on at the time when they heard that. He then asked, who do you trust? It was really quiet. You, you could hear a pin drop. A prisoner sitting next to me just looked at me and said aloud, I trust you, Vanessa. I cannot tell you how much that hit me. It took my breath away. I was so surprised and shocked, shocked really, at such a wonderful and very personal declaration. It really left me speechless, and that really is a rarity for me. I'm not telling you this to big myself up. That's really the last thing I would do. But I wanted to share you, share with you the, the effect that that actually had on me. The thought that somebody trusted me that much. And I was totally unaware of it. 
it got me wondering, like, how does God feel when we trust him? He's such a loving and caring father. How would he feel? Can you imagine that? His child trusting him, the father. It must be a really sweet smelling fragrance to him. And it really highlighted to me with that prisoner saying, I trust you. What it really means when we say to God, I trust you. Trust had developed for the prisoner because he had shared his deep personal issues, his struggles and the pain in his life. He had made himself vulnerable because he knew he was in safe hands. Just think for a moment of the people you trust. Think about that relationship. Think for a moment of the people who may trust you. What does that mean to you? What does that make you feel like? Think for a moment of your relationship with God. What does that make you feel like? What does it mean to you? George Eliot wrote, Oh, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but pouring them all out, just as they are, chaff and grain together, certain that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keep what is worth keeping, and with a breath of kindness, blow the rest away. God is exactly like this. You are safe with him. He is compassionate, loving and kind. Such a faithful friend. You can tell him anything. He can deal with it. He's strong enough. He is able and reliable. My final story is taken from um, this book called God's Smuggler. Um, which tells the true story of Brother Andrew. Um, and here in this excerpt that I'm about to read to you, it explains a challenge that Brother Andrew is given by the college tutor, Mr. Dinnens, and the outcome of this challenge. You're going to like this, Andy, said Mr. Dinnen. It's an exercise in trust. The rules are simple. Each student on your team is given a one-pound bank note. With that, you go on a missionary tour throughout Scotland. <laughs> You're expected to pay your own transportation, your own lodging, your food, any advertising you want to do, the renting of halls, providing refreshments, all on one pound note. Worse than that, when you get back to school after four weeks, you're expected to pay back the pound. I laughed. Sounds like we'll be passing the hat all the time. Oh no, you're not allowed to take up collections. Never. You're not to mention money at your meetings. All of your needs have got to be provided without any manipulation on your part, or the experiment is a failure. I was a member of a team of five boys. Later, when I tried to reconstruct where our funds came from during those four weeks, it was hard to. It seemed that what we needed was always just there. Sometimes a letter would arrive from one of the boys' parents for little money. Sometimes he would get a cheque in the mail from a church we had visited days or weeks earlier. 
The notes that came with these gifts were always interesting. I know you don't need money, or you would have mentioned it, someone would write, but God just wouldn't let me sleep tonight until I put this in an envelope for you. Contributions frequently came in from all sorts of form of produce. In one little town in the highlands of Scotland, we were given 600 eggs. <laughs> we had eggs for breakfast, eggs for lunch, eggs as holsters before a dinner of eggs with an egg white meringue dessert. It was weeks before we could look a chicken in the eye. <laughs> but many or produce, we stuck fast to two, two, wall, two rules even. We never mentioned a need aloud and we gave away a tithe of whatever came to us as soon as we got it, within 24 hours if possible. Another team that set out from school at the same time as we did was not so strict about tithing. They set aside their 10% all right, but they didn't give it away immediately in case they ran into an emergency. Of course, they had emergencies, but so did we every day. But they ended their month owing money to hotels, lecture halls and markets all over Scotland <coughs> while we came back to school almost £10 ahead. Fast as we could give money away, God was always swifter and we ended up with money to send overseas to help with aid work. There were times before the end of the tour, however, when it looked as though the experiment was failing. One weekend, we were holding meetings in Edinburgh. We had attracted a large group of young people the first day and were casting about for a way to get them to come back to, uh, next week. Suddenly, without consulting anyone, one of the team members stood up and made an announcement. Before the meeting tomorrow evening, he said, we'd like you all to come to tea here with us. Four o'clock, how many think can make it? A couple of dozen hands went up and we were committed. At first, instead of being delighted, the rest of us were horrified. All of us knew that we had no tea, no cake, no bread and butter and exactly five cups. Nor did we have any money to buy these things. Our last penny had gone to rent the hall. This was going to be a real test of God's care. And for a while, it looked as though he was going to provide everything to the young people themselves. After the meeting, several of them came forward and said they would like to help. One offered milk, another half a pound of tea, another sugar. One girl even offered to bring dishes. Our tea was rapidly taking shape. But there was one thing still missing, the cake. Without cake, these Scottish boys and girls wouldn't consider tea, tea. They must have been Baptists. <laughs> so that night, in our evening prayer time, we put the matter before God. Lord, we've got ourselves into a spot. From somewhere, we've got to get a cake. Will you help us? That night, we rolled up in our blankets on the floor of the hall. We played guessing games. How was God going to give us that cake? Among the five of us, we guessed everything imaginable. Or so we thought. Morning arrived. We half expected a heavenly messenger to come to our door bearing a cake. But none came. The morning mail arrived. We ripped open the two letters hoping for money. There was none. A woman from a nearby church came by to see if, we could help, if she could help. Cake was on the tip of our tongues, but we swallowed the word and shook our heads. Everything, we assured her, is in God's hands. The tea had been announced for four o'clock in the afternoon. 
At three the tables were set, but still we had no cake. 3.30 came, we put on water to boil. 3.45 and then the doorbell rang. All of us together ran to the, to the big front entrance and there was the postman. In his hand was a large box. Hello lads, said the postman. Got something for you that feels like a food package. He handed the box to one of the boys. The delivery day is over, actually, he said, but I hate to leave a perishable package overnight. He thanked him profusely, and the minute he closed the door, the boy solemnly handed me the box. It's for you, Andrew, from a Mrs. William Hopkins in London. I took the package and carefully unwrapped it. Off came the twine, off came the brown outside paper. Inside, there was no note, only a large white box. Deep in my soul, I knew that I could afford the drama of lifting the lid slowly. As I did, there in perfect condition, to be admired by five sets of wondering eyes, was an enormous, glistening, moist chocolate cake. God's in everything. Absolutely everything. He's so interested in you and I. And Brother Andrew there, like, he just thought, how is this going to happen? He didn't expect it to happen in that way, but it did. We need to believe, we need to trust. We need to get rid of the barriers that are around us. We need to allow God to have his way amongst us. I truly believe that when we trust in him, we will see miracles. The society we live in generally has nervous suspicion about it, distrust. We should not allow this to penetrate us, to stain us. For those who follow Christ are holy. We need to follow his way. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. I believe it is right that we should have a moment, really, of quiet before God. And we'll have some music playing quietly in the background. But I would really urge you to spend some time with God now, reflecting on what you've heard, and to ask him if there is a message for you on this about trust. Remember, you can tell him anything. He's a big God. He's a strong God. And he's a loving God.